I'm Lily, pronoun she, her. I'm a member of the Ypsilanti Industrial Workers of the World. Uh, so I'm glad to have you all here to be a part of this conversation. I'm really excited to see how this turns out. Um, yeah, and as Derek said, uh, this will be recorded for the podcast as well as for internal sharing purposes. Uh, if you don't want your voice to be recorded, just go ahead and use chat. We can always repeat any questions uh, that way. Um, so Donovan, uh, I met him by going out to the Kellogg's uh, picket line out in Battle Creek. Um, so we got to talking and, uh, you know, through that connection, we, we decided to have this uh, discussion with him. So Donovan, if you would um, go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit so everyone knows who you are. All right. My name is Donovan Williams. Um, I'm a trustee with the BCTGM Local 3G out of Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, I've worked at the Kellogg Company for eight years now. I'm also a uh, councilman with the city of Albion, Michigan. Um, definitely met Lily out on the picket line. Uh, one chance meeting, I wasn't scheduled to come out that day. And uh, Lily, I came across the street and Lily was the only one out there. <laughs> I was like, it was just a random, random chance meeting. And we developed a friendship from that point. Um, been on, been out on the uh, picket line a couple times together, and memorable times to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of yes. fun. Yes, we did. Before we kind of get into like nitty gritty type stuff, I think I'd be good to to go over a little bit of background information. So, Domin, could you give us an overview of? Who is BCTGM? Like, just tell us a bit about your union. Okay, um, BCTGM, the letters are um, Bakers, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers, and Grain Millers. Um, we're the Grain Millers of the BCTGM. I, like I said before, I work at Kellogg. Um, we produce millions of pounds of cereal um, that help to feed the country annually. Mm -hmm. We have 1,400 employees, um, a little over 1,400, that were on strike from Memphis, Omaha, uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, um, and there in Battle Creek as well. We had a five-year contract. We had just come off of a five-year contract, which was extended into a six-year contract. Um, in the closing letter to end the contract, there was a, a, a discrepancy over a word that was used terminate or um, expire or expiration. Um, the company used that through legal leverage to basically for, force us to work another year without a, um, without a contract or well, with the contract that we were previously working under in place. Oh yeah, I was not aware of that. Um, yeah. So we, yeah, so you brought up the contract. Um, in regards to the previous contract, what was the main change that the workers were were wanting like what were you hearing people talk about um like before the strike before any of that just like contract wise what are people what were people asking for okay um one of the like okay so before going into a contract you take proposals and uh basically you just sift through the proposals everybody votes to either keep the proposals that were initially proposed or to get rid of them um a lot of those proposals were things like a change to the vacation time and um uh more holidays things like that right 
those were the small ticket item stuff that, you know, we weren't necessarily going to go on strike over things that, you know, it's just a shot in the dark since we're going to meet. Let's just see if we can put this on there and see what the company comes back with. You know, things that will maybe make the day-to-day work environment a little more pleasant. Um, but our big ticket item was the two-tier wage system that we had there in Battle Creek. So mm-hmm. I'm considered a regular full-time employee. In the news and in the in the media, um, the company was framing it as a legacy employee. So you guys probably heard that a lot if you were um, following the strike in the media. Um, a legacy employee is what they were considering employees who had um, legacy wages, which means top tier wages, um, top tier benefits, 100 percent health care, pension, uh, retirement, health care, things of that nature. Um, now we have a, a sub tier, which is um, transitional employees. These employees make or made at the time um, $14 less than what I make. They pay a 80-20 health care. Um, let me see, 80-20 health care, no retirement benefits, no pension, uh, but their time, the number of years counts towards their vesting. So even though they don't get a pension initially, when they got hired in, they would, um, they would receive the benefit of a pension um, or, or those years of years of service towards their vesting when they did, you know, get their time eventually. Um but over the course of the last six years, we had only seen roughly six, I think it was like six employees move from transitional um, employee status to full-time regular employee status um, there in Battle Creek. Now, just to put that in perspective, going into going into the strike, we had 325 um, employees and 52 of those employees were transitional employees. So this the is company just Battle could, Creek? Yeah, this was just Battle Creek, but as a whole, um, the company could have up to 30% of the workforce as transitional labor. So if you look at, the, at that 1,400 um, employees at each plant, 30% of whatever the he- total headcount was, could be transitional labor. So um, let me frame it like this. Let's look at the 1,400 employees, take 30% of that. 70% of the employees were receiving full-time benefit, well, regular full-time benefits, which means top-tier wage of $30 an hour plus. The full healthcare, 100% healthcare. So, you know, you could, I had surgery and um, came out of there without a bill at all things like that, you know, with the retirement health care and stuff like that. Now, those 70% of the employees went on strike for the 30% of employees to share in the same benefits and same uh, wages that we do. Just to, you know, frame it for you a little bit better. And I just want to, I just want to highlight like that, that, I mean, that, that's such, that's such a interesting, there are like two things that come out that are really interesting to me, Donovan. And one of them is that you have a healthcare system that I feel like my parents grew up with, right? Like I haven't seen a healthcare system that is that good in a long time. Um, and, and I feel like I grew up, uh, I'm 38 now and I grew up in an era where I kind of saw that, like, 
I don't pay deductibles. I don't, I don't pay these things. Like that is what my parents' generation and what like unions of, you know, 30 years ago fought for and won for. And I don't think like, we don't, I, I don't see that. I haven't seen that in our industry in higher ed. And I don't really see that in most other, definitely not in non-unionized uh, private sector groups. So it's really impressive to me that you've maintained that healthcare system over time. I'm also really interested in, in the degree to which you have people submitting proposals to you. Um, and when you say like people submit proposals for like these, these, these contract items, is it from the general membership or is that from like a contract team that was elected or selected uh, for your, for your local? So as the general body, everyone in the body had an opportunity to um, fill out their proposals. So, you know, regardless of how long you've been there, the new guy that just got to the floor, maybe he sees something from a job that he had just come from or she had just come from. And they wanted to propose that um, every Tuesday we have Taco Tuesday, something like that. You know what I mean? Of course, you know, it's a it's being a little whimsical, but um, if it was something of that nature, or more so like myself, I think I wanted to, um, I proposed changing the vacation time because it, it took you so many years to get to that higher vacation. And we weren't necessarily seeing, or we were going to see a gap between the age of where people would actually be at 20, 25 years. And um, people like myself who um, are eight years in and I started at 30 years old. So you know, I'm, I'm going to be 55 years before I reach that, that top vacation. Yeah. Did you say 25 years to reach the top vacation? Yeah. Now I don't have the actual framework in front of me guys. So don't hold me to that, but just, um, (laughs) I'm I'm just trying to paint the picture for you. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, those, those top vacations, you know, it's 20 years plus. So, um, just trying to get them so that they will be more feasible for people who were going to be there. Uh, during this time frame and with the amount of time that we spend away from our family um we work 365 days a year we're scheduled to work let me put it like this we are scheduled to work 365 days a year that means that if i want a day off i have to request a day off or i have to call in regardless of what day it is Now, they do have days where they fumigate and they'll let us know maybe a day or two in advance that, hey, this coming Monday, um, Easter, the the day following Easter will be fumigating or Easter Sunday will be fumigating. So um, nobody, well, somebody's going to work. Electricians, um, maintenance guys, crew leaders, there'll be people in there working even on those days. Um, The guys that run the boilers and, and those systems. Um, they'll be in there working as well. So it's a 365 day, um, program over there. Like we work every single day. Um, just coming back into work since the 27th, a lot of those guys haven't had the opportunity to get a day off yet. Um, and you know, we're at the end of the month, you know, or they work for at least 30 days straight with no day off myself included, you know? So, um, that's the, the position that we're in, but Back to Derek's point, um, everyone could submit a proposal regardless to what the proposal was, um, and we weed through them. Some some proposals 
will overlap things that we already had. And we just had to explain to people that we already currently have that. Um, and then once the negotiating committee got to the table with the company, they we through the things that the company will see being feasible or um, things that just were out of the question and they would just take them off the table. Um, I think there was a proposal for Juneteenth uh, to become a holiday. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with Juneteenth, it's the day that the last group of enslaved um, Africans here in, here in, um, in the United States receive, um, receive word that slavery had ended and about the Emancipation Proclamation. It took them two years um, after you know, the Emancipation Proclamation was put out there. Um, and those were groups of people who were enslaved in Texas and in the Southwest. So um, I believe that ended up coming off the table at one point. Um, but just things like that, you know, where you want to make sure you you get the things that you want put on there and then they just weed through them eventually through the negotiation process. Yeah. Um, now back to the healthcare portion of that. I first would like to say, I believe that people in um, education, the the teachers who teach in elementary schools and high schools throughout the country, deserve better treatment. Um, they are the ones that mold children, myself included, to become the people that we want in our society. Um, and for that, they should be rewarded. If it was up to me, you guys probably wouldn't be paying taxes. You definitely have 100% health care, you know. Um, but we do see in in, in higher education um, and roles like that where people do have that 100% health care still. And in some, um, some other labor industries, I know um, the LIUNA, uh, they, they, they're laborers. They were, um, I met with them recently and they were saying that they have 100% health care. They just have a, um, a copay when they go to um, certain doctors and stuff. And we still have a copay when we, um, when we go to certain specialists and stuff like that. But um, that's, that's kind of what we're fighting for. You know, I think that's what, what Striketober was about. Um, it's definitely, definitely will be a more feasible thing for industries like, um, the warehousing industries like Amazon and stuff like that, where they have these massive amounts of people and they make so much money. I think it would be a lot more feasible for industries like that. And maybe through organizing, we can get, um, we can push for that, but definitely I believe healthcare is a big thing since they killed um, the, the healthcare plan that we had as a country before um, is definitely needed and necessary, especially with the older, older we get as a, society here in the united states yeah absolutely um all right yeah so i guess with that um kind of overview of the contract and where people are where the workers were at what they were asking for going from that and then to the strike there's this in-between period of maybe escalation um so what what's that in-between period so how did you go from Okay, the you know we're negotiating contract to then okay we're going to strike. What were there any actions um, before striking um, that may have been taken? Uh, anything of that nature? Post post strike, I had to think 
you know, more reflectively on what caused us to go to go on strike, what led us to go on strike, what led us to have a such a high strike vote. So before you go on strike, you have to um it it there has to be a proposal made as to if you're going to go on strike. Okay, so you take a vote for that. And then the meeting before the actual strike, you have to take another vote to say, hey, if we don't um, receive a tentative agreement or a contract by um, this date, um, we're going to go on strike or we give the union the authority to go on strike. So um, it's definitely a little little nerve nerve wracking at the time because you don't know what it may lead to. I mean, it's a real scary thing. I'm going to be honest with you. If if I said anything else, yeah. it, it'd definitely be a lie. But what would lead a union body of 70% of employees with good benefits, good wages um, to go on strike? I believe that's that's the actual question, right? Um, it's the treatment. Um, there is nothing that us as the union um, officials, the executive board could do to influence 1,400 employees to go on strike. 14, well, and of that, let's say the 70% who were doing pretty good, there is nothing we can do to convince them that a strike would be a good deal. All of that comes from um, the company and their treatment of people specifically. Um, people get fed up with working 365 days a year or 120 straight days with no days off. People get fed up with um, being treated a certain way um, in these buildings, uh, being talked down to by by management, being um, basically like prairie dog followed around uh, as far as things that they do. Um, myself, um, my grandmother had passed away a couple years ago, and I had to plan her funeral. I ended up receiving six disciplinary points um, over that time frame from planning her funeral. Went to HR, tried to work it out. Now, mind you, like the week before that, my my points had reset to zero. I have never been in a disciplinary action point-wise prior to that at all in the, I think at the time in in the five or six years that I had been there, I had never been to the second tier of the um, of the disciplinary policy where, you know, you'd have to sit down with HR and y'all have to talk about um, your points or whatever. I never had an issue with my attendance at all. And um, their unwillingness to work with me during that time frame was one that um, that I kind of resented them for, held that against them, you know, um, but we had people, we had a policy before we had the transitional um, policy. We had a policy before of casual employees, which was another two-tier system that we had where people didn't have benefits at all. Um, they didn't have benefits. They couldn't bid on jobs. You didn't know if you were going to get hired or not. Their policy at that time was every day as an interview. Um, I was under that policy for two years. And... Um, Four months after I started, they hired people off the streets to the regular full-time job, whereas we had 50, 60 guys that had been there working day in and day out as casual employees that didn't even get the opportunity to interview for the job. And they just brought in totally, but they were in there doing the work daily 
doing the work daily that the same bid people do, um, getting less pay, not getting any holidays, couldn't even call in. Like one of my friends was afraid to um, take the day off for his grandmother's funeral. So he ended up working the day that he, you know, the day that he buried his grandmother, he ended up working that same day. Um, like it's, it's something that's unfathomable to, to the, like the regular person, like it, but hindsight, when I say, um, the union couldn't convince people, the members to take this strike is strictly because there's nothing that we could say to get people to walk out of those doors. It right. was the treatment by the company that forced us out of those doors and onto the streets just for the, like the respect and for the integrity. Um, now the integrity of fighting for our coworkers who make the same sacrifices that we make um, those transitional employees that sacrifice those same 365 days a year for $14 less in pay for um, a two tier um, for a 80, 20 healthcare um, for a difference in holiday pay for um, a difference in overall treatment, really, you know, um, we took it upon ourselves to have integrity in those 82 days and say that we were going to stand up for these people and we were going to fight to get them what they deemed fit as um, working conditions going forward. Uh, Lily, can I just ask here? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so Donovan, I mean, it sounds like, you know, ahead of the strike, you know, one of the things that we often, I mean, that I often think about, like in my own local, for example, like what actions can we take? What actions are prepared? Are, are people like prepared to do? Like one of the things that we often think about is, is like, how do we kind of escalate some people? Like who's, who's not ready and who, and who needs to be shown that the, that, that the administration or management's not listening to us. So let's like, let's, let's do some tabling. Let's do a march on the president's office. Let's, let's show people that we're getting up here and we're trying to do things so that we sort of, sort of build energy towards a strike. But it kind of sounds like that wasn't necessary in your case because people were at that point already. Like they were, they were they were beaten down. They were frustrated. They felt disrespected, and and they were kind of ready to go on that line without a whole lot of prodding from the union, like that, like that from from union leadership. That's what I'm hearing from you. Is that is that fair? Okay, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much fair. Um, I'll tell you, in Battle Creek, we are um, one of the more, more fortunate locals. Um, once a month for our union meeting. Um, everyone's allowed to take the day off for that meeting. Um, so honestly, we could shut the plant down every month for our union meeting. Um, the other locals don't necessarily have that a similar wording in their um, mm. in their union um, bylaws, but we do, and we're we're fortunate to be able to do that. Now, leading up to the the strike, I'm gonna be honest with you we weren't having a high enough attendance. We were getting high attendance, but we weren't getting a high enough attendance to really, um, to really strike home that point, you know, and, and shut the plant down. Um, now it's not to create a work stoppage. That's not the intent. The intent is for us to meet with our people and to get in front of them and to, um, share with them information that pertains to what's going on in the plant and um, 
what's needed, what what isn't being done from an HR standpoint, and why us as a union haven't had much movement on the grievances that we've been putting in. But you would see the worse the treatment got from the HR department, the more attendance you will have at the union meetings. It's a direct correlation. Um, yeah. So, like I said before, they forced us out on the streets. Now, in your case with your people, if you're running into these frustrating issues and they're not just, um, they're, they're definitely something to stand on, like they're, they're principled issues. Um, what I've seen is having regular updates or something where um, like an email blast or something like that, that a posting, like we usually use posting stuff like that. Hey, we've been trying to work on this. Uh, we're not getting anywhere as far as being able to meet with HR. And then people would see it and they talk to us. They stop us in the hallway. Hey, so what was that on the union board? Hey, man, uh, we've been working out. We've been trying to work these things out. We know it's a big issue, but we're not getting much movement. Um, just bear with us, you know, come to the union meeting and then just notifying people to come to the union meeting and when the union meetings were was a helpful tool as well because um, it did help in getting the attendance up for those meetings. This last meeting that we had following the union, following the strike, uh, the first one we had, we probably had the, the highest number of union members present um, in a very long time. Well, you know, it's it's always, we always fill a room, but it's filling the room exceedingly with the people from multiple shifts and uh, getting the people in front of that information as well. Yeah. So with regard to preparing for the strike, um, it seems like one of the main goals slash issues was this was this um two-tier system um did you guys decide that um like how did you reach that as this is our this is one of our goals and were there other kind of main goals for the strike like how do you come to that consensus okay um a few of the goals were um thinking long term okay so mm -hmm. The last contract we had, they had pretty much gotten rid of um, the retiree health care benefit for the new employees. We wanted that back because we understand that the more people that we have in the um, the retiree health care, the cheaper it'll be for everyone. Um, so we, we definitely wanted that. Um, another thing is we wanted job security. Um, we want a job security in the form of um, a certain expense that the company will have to pay out if they decided to cut jobs and send them um, or cut jobs or close a plant and send it um, to Mexico. Uh, that is something that they are currently planning to do. They they notified us. Oh, <laughs> so as far as the strike, the company on September 4th did something um that was phenomenal, that helped us in such an amazing way that we couldn't have planned for. Um, on the Labor Day weekend, leading into the, the Friday before the Labor Day weekend, four years after they had notified us that they were gonna cut 187 jobs in Battle Creek, they decided to have a emergency meeting the following day. So they told us at this meeting that they were gonna cut 170 jobs. So, 
like before what when when you guys asked um what led us to go on strike the company definitely came and told us that they would go cut 170 jobs in battle creek so it was kind of a no-brainer like okay well you guys don't want us here well we don't feel like working so just you know go figure it out you know but yeah, it definitely, um, definitely helped. They figure us it out. In, they um, did not. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know why they would choose that. Like right before the termination of the contract, you know, um, the contract ended on, um, 10, four and they tell us on nine, four that they're going to cut 170 jobs. I believe they thought it would be an intimidation. They, they were going, they were going to try to attempt to use that, um, as an attempt intimidation, and a divisive mechanism to um, turn the employees who would be keeping their job, who would be mm-hmm. on the other side of that 170, um, against the ones who would be losing their jobs. Um, it was it was a miscalculation, to say the least, on their part. But this mm-hmm. is the type of company that the Kellogg Company is, and um, they really don't care about the people that work there. Um, it's just shareholders and corporate greed that r- operates and runs this company. Sorry, bring it back to that. Um, like the company trying to divide the workers. Uh, I am impressed with how, how willing you are to stand together and not fall for that. Um, is there any kind of, is there any kind of tips? Do you know what it is about your union that is enabling that solidarity over, uh, you know, in spite of this of the company trying to divide you. Oh well, what it is is it's just been the tra- the treatment of people have been has been terrible for the last twenty two years. So mm-hmm. they had that casual program that I came in under for roughly fifteen years, some somewhere around fifteen years. So that means any of the employees that was here prior to that. They're either retirement age or has already retired. And they had um, in Battle Creek, we had 4,500 employees at one time. Um, That was well before the 90s. But they started um, they started losing jobs in Battle Creek around in the 90s. So from the 90s to the early 2000s, they just started losing, losing, losing a ton of jobs. So they went from a plant, a location that was 4,500 employees to one that's 330, 325 employees as of 10-5, and that's dwindled down, and they they plan on cutting another 170 jobs. So the every household in Battle Creek and the surrounding areas has been negatively affected by the Kellogg Company. So um, it's not hard for people to see mm-hmm. the writing on the wall, as they say, like, um, this isn't a good company. They don't treat people well. Um, everybody has an experience where their grandmother, grandfather, their mother um, had worked in the, the Kellogg plant and the treatment wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. if they worked at corporate, they probably had a different, much different experience. But we're even seeing as of that, the initial job cut that I mentioned um, uh, four years ago, <clears throat> four and a half years ago, a lot of corporate people had lost their jobs. So, um, and just speaking of that point, if we can get labor across um, across fields to stand together, I think we can make a greater impact as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not hard to see that 
the company isn't um, for people. They don't support people. They don't care about family. There is no um, life work balance or um, or thought about your family at all. Right. Yeah, I think to, to your point about more um, like co- cooperation and solidarity between different um, uh, you know different parts of a company. I think that's one of one of the main goals of the IWW is to have that industry industry wide um, uh, unionism. So, right. yeah, I I definitely agree uh, agree there. Now with um, w- with regards to the community. Um, it seems like you had a lot of community support, just like you had a lot of, you know, worker support for the strike. It seems like the community was also probably just ready to just say, yeah, F you Kellogg. So, um, how did you have, did you even have to reach out to any other community, um, organizations or, or members, uh, before the strike? Um, and like, how do you, how do you see that support manifesting? Okay, um, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, we didn't necessarily know what the community's um, stance was going to be, if they were going to um, support what we were doing or if they were going to view us in a different light. Uh, we just didn't know. Um, and that was, our, that was one of our main concerns. Um, and that's why we were so careful and so respectful um, being out there on the picket lines to not do anything to um, change the perceptive perception or the community's view and outlook on us as a union. Um, I would like to say thank you to the city of Battle Creek and the surrounding areas and to the country as well, because the country stood so fervent with us that the Kellogg company decided to take its name off of the Pop-Tarts boxes <laughs> that um, they put on your store shelves. Now, I don't know if you guys know how impactful that that really is, but Kellogg's is a brand that even when I travel outside of the country, they're on shelves and they have stock and stuff on shelves and people recognize them worldwide. Um it would be like Nike deciding to take the swoosh off of their product because their workers decided to stand up and not, um, and not take their crap, you know, um, barring, barring Nike does anything, you know, to, to do that. But Mm -hmm. it definitely showed a sign of solidarity, um, nationwide, nationwide. Um, Mm-hmm. So we didn't we didn't necessarily reach out to many places. The other locals we did um, post cereal. They their plant there in Battle Creek um, is right across the street, a, a stone throw across the street from the um, our location there in Battle Creek. Um, the the local president there set up our actual GoFundMe account. Um, we didn't have to ask him to. He just felt that his union brother, um, and they're from a different union, different local, um, that their union brothers and sisters were in need. So he took it upon himself to set up the GoFundMe account. Um, and so many different local unions, I'd hate to start naming some and miss any of them yourselves included though, the IWW. Um, but, we were shown so much support. 
we're still filling out um thank you letters and and writing and sending thank you letters like it's it's a month after the end of the strike and we're still trying to make it through all of the thank you letters and i i hope everyone bears bears with us as we do so but um that support you couldn't plan for it 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 actually caught me a few times um getting teary eyed just at the overall support um just thinking about the cars that would ride past and hit the horns and people that will stop and drop off cookies, hot chocolate, um, coffee, um, different food items, uh, different, diff- like we ran basically a food bank out of our local union hall and it was stocked by um, people from the community and locals from the community. Um, mm-hmm. Locals sent out um, uh, God's Kitchen in Battle Creek. They sent out, the locals sent out the <clears throat> the church that prepares meals for the homeless and people in need to provide warm meals at our union hall twice a week. And it is just overwhelming. Like it's, it's the thought of it is overwhelming because we decided to take on the undertaking that the outcome wasn't promised. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty in doing it, but when we did it, Everyone came out and showed support, um, even on the last day when when we got word back that the tentative agreement had passed. Mm-hmm. Um, this brother and sister who was in South Haven uh, visiting their parents, both union members, one lived in Alaska, the other one in Albuquerque, New Mexico, came out to the union hall with congratulatory signs saying that they wanted to thank us and that they had been there before and we had them sign our board and um, we just thanked them for coming and showing support. Um, it's, you can't plan for, you can't really plan for that type of support. I guess you could reach out to um, the other locals and the other unions to let them know that, hey, we're, we're facing an upcoming strike and we just wanted you all to be aware of it. But um like even Senator Sanders, he had the DSW come out there to the picket line and they would have 15 to 20 people come out weekly to help support the um, the picket line. And like you don't necessarily know if it's going to register to that extent, you know, if it's going to hit home, if someone in, in Washington is going to actually take the time up to say, you know what? Those grain millers in Battle Creek, those grain millers in Memphis, those grain millers in Lancaster, those grain millers in Omaha need our support. You know, you just like you honestly, honestly, truly cannot plan for something like that. Um, But I will say this. We hadn't had a strike since it it was 49 years since the last time they had a strike in Battle Creek. Um, But when Mondelez was on strike, when uh, the UAW was on strike. When um, when the Flint water crisis came out, when um, when when the 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 Menden uh, dam collapse happened, we we organized and we tried to make sure that we send people and we send support. And, you know, it may not may not necessarily register as um, that's CTGM from Battle Creek that's that's doing this. And we don't necessarily care for the um, 
the the thank yous or the the um not the thank yous but the we we don't necessarily care for the pats on the back as it would be mm-hmm. but i will say we at this point owe so much to this local community that we will be continually doing things in the community um to give back so that um the people who have sown into us will reap the benefits of that as well so um i would say for any local that's thinking about that that's that's any local that's doing anything that may need support down the road do a backpack drive do a clothing drive do um do different things at your local union to support the community on a consistent basis so that you have a face in the community and um just be that support system for the community so that if you're ever in dire straits and you haven't had a check in 82 days and you may need of rations you may need some food to put on your shelves that someone may say you know what they did help us when we were in need and i see that they are in need right now and they they'll show up for you you know what i mean so it's just being being good people and sowing a good seed consistently is what i would say yeah yeah no yeah you're it is totally totally inspiring um to just see the community coming together and i think um a lot of people are going to see that and want to emulate that in their own in their own union in their own city in their own in their own community um right. and I, I i i think that that mutual aid of not only expecting help but also giving back um is yeah definitely going to be a big part of that yeah well well I, let me say this we cannot expect help i don't care I don't care what you do for someone mm-hmm. at no time should it ever come from a place of I'm doing this to receive something in return. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is if, if you sow a good seed, if you, if you till that soil, if you, if you water that soil, if you, um, if you tend to that harvest as it's, you know, as it's growing one day when the harvest comes in, something favorable may come back to you you know it's just they call it karma i i i used to listen to jim Rohn a lot and jim Rohn said uh the sore of a good seed will reap a good harvest so i i just tend to um tend to live my life in that way as often as as i can so and we try to spread that out as a union um our union body seems to as a whole want to do so much in the community even though we have barriers at times but they all seem as a whole to want to do and be um involved in the community because we're a part of the community we live in the community and we live in the surrounding areas be it if you live 30 miles away or if you live 45 miles away that just expanded our radius so um you know we we understand that we're in a, a fortunate position um to work at a place that affords us a lifestyle at times um, where we can take care of our families. And being that we can take care of our families, we would like to see people in the position as well to be able to take care of their families as well. Right. Yeah, great. Yeah, I think, so let's move into the strike. Uh, What was like, so what was the first couple of days of the strike like? Like I've heard 
you know, buses were being blocked for hours. You know, what was that like, especially not having been on spike for 50 years or, or, or I think that's what you said. Actually, actually right. Lily, can I, can I, can I actually just do one, one step ahead? Like what was on your mind, Donovan? Like, like what, yeah. like, 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 what were you thinking you'd got, you like you declared, you, you declared that you're going to go on strike. Like, what were you thinking it was going to look like? Were, were you nervous? Were you feeling good? Like, like how, how, how was it just from your perspective? Okay. So we took the strike boat. I believe the day before or like a couple of days before the strike. Right. No, actually, we took the strike vote. Was it that? I think it was that morning. It was that morning. OK, so we took the strike vote that morning. We were waiting for the, the votes to come back in. So the votes came in around seven and it said that, OK, we got the OK to go on strike. So you're nervous all day. 7 p.m. So you're nervous all day. You're like, man, we might go on strike, you know? And then just fortunately I was off that day, but I kind of wanted to be there. You know what I mean? Like more than like, I wanted to be there. Honestly, I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So it had been very tense in the plant leading up to this. The HR manager, the, um, the plant manager were doing direct bargaining, trying to direct bargain with the employees. They had set up a desk in front of the cafeteria, handing out, um, different pamphlets and things about how you could withdraw from the union and still come to work and all this different stuff. And um, there were a few verbal confrontations between the union members and the HR manager and the plant manager as to why now their presence was so um, was so readily available when before we couldn't get in contact with them. Their offices is locked, so you can't get a hold of them. You can call and leave a message. They don't respond to you. You have an issue with your health care. Uh, they got you speaking to somebody in India, and nobody's there to help you figure out how to um, resolve the issue. Um, you're being treated a certain way, and the plant manager is totally ignoring it, or you're having an issue with HR, and the plant manager is totally ignoring it. We got grievances that are backlogged, but now all of a sudden, you guys are so available that you're sitting in front of the cafeteria to hand out these these scab pamphlets, basically. You know what I'm saying? Sign up to be a scab. All right. So that night, um, me and a couple of my coworkers from second shift, we all decided to meet at a bar down the street and we waited because we weren't sure if we were gonna get the call that um that we were going to go on strike that night. But we fit, we kind of figured we just, we just hadn't got the okay yet. Um, the, the, the negotiating committee or the, the president of the local unions, I think they all knew or had been in correspondence with each other, but we also had to wait um, until the last plant time-wise would be able to go on strike. So Omaha is on a different, um, different time. They're not on the, um, the Eastern Standard Time, like us, Memphis, and Lancaster is on. So what happened is they waited until, I think it was 1 o'clock. So we get the call. Hey, we're walking out at 1 o'clock. We get the text message. Everybody, all right, we're walking out at 1 o'clock. Like, all right, bet. So we all drive. We leave the bar. We drive down the street, um, park outside the gates, and 
you could see the parking lot was just basically empty. <laughs> like all it was was just the regular hourly guys' cars. Like all of the maintenance, the, all the supervisors, all their cars is gone. Like we don't know where they at. So they walk out and we're walking up with our sign and our union shirts on. And we're proud, you know. And, you know, we, we walked down the driveway as a unit and it was so many cars out there and so many people out there. I think I have some video I probably can send to you guys, but it's so many people out there. And we all just once that once the clock hit one o'clock or I believe it was one o'clock. Once the once the clock hit, we all walk in. And at that same time, we, you can start to see all the people walking down the hallways through the windows. You can see them walking out the hallways and then they come out the door and we're standing out there in front of Tony the tar Tiger. And, you know, we're chanting and we're getting them going. And I'm, I'm telling you, like this moment, this moment right here. For the 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 for those six attendance points that I got for my grandmother's funeral, for the endless days that we would get forced over and have to work the sixteen hour workday, um, when we thought we were going home after that first eight, for the treatment that we had seen on so many occasions, like this was the 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 punch in the face that we were delivering to the catalog company and. It was it was gratifying, and that's an understatement. That that moment was euphoric in a way, and I don't I don't have anything that I could compare it to uh, that would that would give it justice. But to see my union brothers and sisters standing out there unified, um, fist in the air, with their picket signs and 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 all of us just being on one page, it was it like I said, it was euphoric. It was this is it. This is that moment. It was it was it was the first punch of the actual fist fight. So imagine the adrenaline rush that you get, either getting punched in the face or punching someone in the face in a fist fight. This is it. Let's go. You know, and we 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 marched in there. We got our people. You know, we marched down to the to the um to the doors. We got our people. They followed us out, and then everybody started to drive out, honking their horns, honking their horns, and we started to set up shop. You know, um, in the days leading to that, we marked off the designated spots in which we could stand. Mm -hmm. Um, we also did that as a tactic to let them know, let the company know that we were planning on going on strike, um, uh, just in case they wondered or thought anything different. I think they actually believed that we were too afraid to do so, uh, that, that, that people weren't upset enough to do so. It was, it was an ill judgment on, on, on their part. Um, their barometers must've been off. They, they don't know their people at all. And clearly, you know, it's, it's clear to see, but, um, it was that, that first day was one of the best and most enjoyable days of my life. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, and and the days that followed, um, the 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 parties, the barbecues, the events that we had, the the karaoke, <laughs> the 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 fun, but also the meeting of the people and their families and their children and their kids and their grandkids. Like it was so, we we'd worked together for so long, and you'd ask someone, you know, how's your wife doing? Um, but you never met her. You never met her. 
And there was never an event where you could take a day off and that person take the day off and then you guys meet each other's family because we just don't get the days off like that. It, me getting a day off means somebody else doesn't get the day off. You see what I'm saying? And there was nothing done by the Kellogg company to create a cohesive environment for families at like a family day or something like that. And it's definitely profits over people because they only care about running profit. I mean, making profit and running product, you know, that's the, that's their only care in the world. They don't, they don't care about how you feel. They don't care if, if you're mental, um, if you're mentally stable, they don't care if, you know, if, if the stress is getting to you, um, they don't care of the impact that the work schedule and the workload puts on your family. We have, um, a lot of divorce that takes place in the Kellogg in, 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 in Battle Creek and the other plants because we just work so much. You just don't get to see your family and you can't plan anything because you know that if you call in to work, somebody's getting forced over and you don't want to force your, you don't want your union brother or sister to get forced over. And like, there's a meme that goes around that says, um, don't feel guilty about calling in the work, uh, F them people, <laughs> like F the company basically. But, um, we, we feel a certain way about mm-hmm. our absence because we know what that means for someone else who was planning on going home that may have had plans with their family, with their wife, with their kids that'll, that'll now have to miss that event because, um, they, They just can't do it. Like one of my one of my union brothers told me that because of the strike, it was the first time in 13 years out of the 20 years of marriage. But the 13 years that he worked for the Kellogg company, that he was going to be able to spend his anniversary with his wife. And it's just one of them things that hits you like a ton of bricks. Like, so we had to go on strike for you to be able to spend the anniversary, your your anniversary with your wife without you having to call in to work like under what condition is that an acceptable condition for a work environment? Now let's, let's also hearken this back to what I said before for my pay, for my benefits. I'm okay with the sacrifices that I make. I understand that. Okay. If this is what it costs to, to buy that sacrifice for me, then I understand that. Okay. But you're not going to pay my union brothers and sisters $14 less than me and ask them to sacrifice more than you ask, ask, ask of me. And they make the same sacrifice that I do or more because now they're paying for their health care. They're paying for, um, you know, they're making less money. Like they don't even enjoy in the, in the small perks that I do, but you require more from them. No, that's, that's not okay. So again, that's why we went on strike. We went on strike because what I'm willing to accept, nobody should accept anything less than what I'm willing to accept across the board. And that's for everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like that union brother, he accepted the fact that he may not be able to spend his anniversary with his wife. He accepted that fact for 13 years. He hadn't been able to spend um, his anniversary with his wife. But he also accepted the fact that no, but that for that, the sacrifices that he made, 
he was willing to make because of the pay and the benefits, but no one should be being paid less for those same sacrifices. No one. And that's that's really why we went on strike was to address that. Yeah. So going so past the first couple of days. Uh, so you, one, one thing I want to touch on, you mentioned the picket lines. Um, what were you part of the or were you aware of the process of like setting those up and picking the locations? What kind of calculations were being done? Yeah. So just go, kind of give okay, an overview yeah, of can, that. Yeah, I can speak to that. OK, yeah. So I was definitely a part of um, picking out the location. So. Um, we initially set up four locations and those were the access plants to the, um, access points to the plant. So the main location, which is in front of the building, in front of the catalog sign, um, that's the main gate, the entryway in which we will park, um, as employees, that's where we park at. The rear, rear entrance is where the, um, semi-trucks, the deliveries come in, uh, the service equipment. Um, stuff like that, where that stuff come in, we set up a picket line back there. And you had to be like 33 feet away from the um, the center of the street. So we measured out from the center of the street and we just measured out and spray painted the lines. Okay, we're, we're okay to be on this property. This is the easement between the Kellogg property and the actual street. So for, for regular civilians, it would be that that portion of grass in front of your house between the sidewalk and the street. So if somebody was picking in your house, they probably could set up on that area, even though you cut the grass there and you know, you pay taxes on it. It doesn't belong to you. It still belongs to the, to the city. Um, but we set up those four. So those two locations, plus the railroad. So we got two railroad interests at um, either side of the plant. So we set up a picket line there because the railroad would not cross the picket line as long as we manned it and we had a picket sign. So their union as well, they said, hey, we can't cross a picket line, it's in our contract. We we can't cross another picket line. It's our, it's in our contract as well. We can't cross another picket line. Like I, I as a Kellogg, I as a BCTGM3, local 3G um, union member, I cannot cross another picket line at all. So we set up those four locations initially. The location you and I met at was the uh, Raymond Road and James Raymond Road and Jameson Gate um, location. We didn't factor that location in initially. So um, what happened is we planned four locations. We saw that strategically um, there was a better location right on the main road where we could get more visibility from people in the city because the main gate, nobody really drives down that road because it's an industrial park basically. So nobody really drives down that road unless they live um, pretty close in that neighborhood. Strategically, we ended up moving people up there. We still tried to man all five locations, but it spread us thin because our initial set, um, sign up sheets for the locations portioned everybody across the four, but we saw that we needed to move people. So what we did is we took people from the railroad locations and assigned them to over there. Mm -hmm. And that main, that back gate, when we realized that the city police were escorting the buses and stuff in, and we weren't going to be able to stop the buses in the way that we 
initially planned to and that it was going to be more of a hassle to do so. And we didn't want, um, like I said, we didn't want to um, tarnish our, the way that the city viewed us as far as um, the, the people of the city viewed us. We didn't want to be, um, now we did, we did want to get into some destructive stuff, but we understood that <laughs> it was not going to be okay and it was not going to be received well. Um, and, you know, we probably were going to go to jail. So we decided not to participate in any of the destructive stuff to, um, to operate in respect and, um, and, 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 and try to be an example um, for how to get it done in our city. Um, so we, we definitely wanted to, to maintain that respect level and we didn't want to do anything to tarnish that. So we saw that that back gate, we may only staff one or two people back there and just move everybody up to the front so that we could wave at people as they drove by. And we, we had a place to receive people who wanted to drop off any things, any canned goods, dog food, cat food, um, any other stuff that, you know, we needed while we were on strike. And I'm going to be honest with you, we got so much support, um, the, especially the, the, first, the first month, I want to say the entire first month, um, pizza, uh, sub, sandwiches, uh, Taco Bell, uh, Burger King, McDonald's, like it was so much food. I didn't have to eat at home once, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and, and with us not receiving any paychecks, it, it just, you know, it, it worked out in our favor and it helped us so much that, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, it, like I said, it was just overwhelming. It, I mean, it definitely it's it's overwhelming. You wake up and like your stomach's growling. But, you know, you can go down to the union hall and there's going to be food there. Like you don't even have to work. Don't stress. Don't stress. Just go down to the union hall. Now, there is a lot of people that found work during that time frame. Um, myself, I tried to make it my point to man that those locations. So I wasn't looking for a job, didn't 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 want to look for a job. Um, and those donations helped me get through that tough time. You know what I mean? Uh, it really helped me get through that tough time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I also ended up joining the city council over that time frame as well. So it, it allowed me time to make a decision to show further support in my local community as well. So, um, yeah, I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, you kind of mentioned the, like the first month uh, getting all the support. So, it seems like the, the, the tactic for the strike was we are going to not work until the contract is worked out, right? It was kind of that marathon type, uh, style. Uh, so how do you maintain that morale um, that obviously the resources, the financial resources are going to dwindle? Um, how, how did you plan to handle that and how did it end up uh, like you say, some people got jobs. So how do people endure that whole thing, that whole process? Okay. Now, as far as a morale standpoint, we, we, when we say morale, we have to look at it um, in two parts. Okay. You have morale as far as if people are wanting to go back into work and willing to cross the picket line. And then you have morale as if people are going to show up for the picket line. 
Now, initially, we came out with a lot of steam. Uh, we made sure to set up a family day fairly quickly. So we got a lot of people out. We barbecued. Um, we got donations from a, another local union that donated um, like 500 pounds of hamburger, um, like hot dogs, stuff, beef hot dogs, stuff like that. So we grilled out. We had to blow up jumpy houses. Um, stuff like that, and we little goodie bags for the kids. So we um we did that initially within like the first two weeks. Um, and like I say, every day it almost felt like a party initially because people come out, they bring their Bluetooth speakers out, their um karaoke, and they be singing, and we grill out every day. But you can only grill out for so long; you gonna get tired of eating. Uh, stuff off the grill you know what I mean but like I said it fed us it fed us for so many days and you know people would just contribute everybody puts in you put in 10 bucks 20 bucks and everybody on the picket line on that shift got to eat that day you know um now eventually the rain comes and when the rain comes the rain is going to get some so some people won't come out you know but some people are built for it. Like we 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 do what we call a twenty eight and three at work um, every month, where we have to clean and you're like you you get dirty, you get wet. So like these adverse conditions, we kind of get used to dealing with them. So what do you do? You go out, you buy the the rain gear, you buy the waterproof pants, or if it gets cold, you buy the flannel pants. You know, you probably never owned a pair of flannel pants, but now you go and buy some. You buy the coat coveralls. Uh, the hats, the bibs, you know, to make sure. And, you know, you get good at manning a fire. You you know, you you figure it out. And um, like the tents and stuff like that. Fortunate enough, we had people who were skilled enough to put up tents and shelter so that um, we didn't necessarily have to worry about it. I'm not a person who is too familiar with putting up shelter or tents and stuff like that. But those that were, they came out and they they put the structures in place. They tied them down. We had a lot of tents that were destroyed by the wind that came through there. Uh, Kellogg's must have paid to get that wind <laughs> <laughs> to get that wind set up because you you be out there and then you come back the next day and and the 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 um, the tents were just totally destroyed and certain um, certain structures were were just totally destroyed, but. We would um, we we were fortunate enough that we had um, people that donated so much that we were able to go out. All right, we're just gonna go out. We're gonna get the good tents, and you know. So once the tents that you saw when you came out, Lily, um, those were you know they they were sturdy. They were sturdy, so they worked out well. We figured you you it's it's trial and error. You figure it out as you go, um, and we figured out what worked, what didn't work. Um, burn barrels, we figured out what worked, what didn't work. Uh, green wood, season wood, we figured out what worked, what didn't work. Um, and it's just a continual process. And it's also the people stepping up. Um, someone with a truck will be like, hey, I'll take the, I'll take the trash and I'll take it to the, um, to the dumpster. You call around, like it's stuff that you never would plan for, like even the dumpster service. Um, we have dumpster service at the Union Hall. The Union Hall was directly across the street from one of the locations where we were picking in that. So we were like, okay, we can just take the, the trash over there. But 
you call the trash company and you ask them, well, how much would it be for you to come multiple times a week? Oh, well, it's going to be too much. So then you start calling around, you figure out who's going to be cheaper. Like um, the porta potties, you would never think that you could fill up a porta potty in one day. (laughs) But then you, you know, you start calling around, hey, um, (laughs) we need more porta johns. And how much would it be for y'all to come out? Like, it's a, it's a series of things that you don't, you couldn't have planned for, you know, just think, just thinking about it. You, you would have never thought that, okay, we'll need this Porter John company to come out here twice a week or three times a week because, you know, it's being used that much or um, the wind could be so destructive to tents. Even the arm, we had military or well, military grade mass tent, like from the, the TV show MASH out there and the wind just took that thing down <laughs> like to the ground. It took it down so quickly. And then you realize that even though you have a tent out there in certain locations, people would rather sit in front of a burn barrel because um, it provided a lot more warmth and, you know, different propane burners or buddy heaters that you put in the tents. Some work better better than others. So, like, right now, post-strike, you know, after the strike, we're going to put together a a strike preparedness trailer that when one of the locals goes on strike or, you know, one of our union brothers and sisters at a different union, labor union or whatever, goes on strike, we already got tents, we got um, propane heaters, we got tables, we got chairs, like we already got the setup that you'll need to get you started so that we can just literally send this over there, drop it off, and just maintain what we brought you guys. And when, when you guys are ready for us to come back and get it, we'll come back and get it. You know, and that's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. That's one of the things that, we, that we're able to think mm-hmm. of now, which, yeah. we, you know, we didn't think to reach out to the international and say, hey, what are we going to need when we go on strike? You know, they, they offer up a little bit, but they don't, they don't necessarily know it's Michigan. It's October. We wanted to change the contract to, Hey, can we, can't, can we change the contract to the 4th of July? Cause if we go on the strike on 4th of July, we, I mean, if the contract's 4th of July, we're guaranteed to go on strike every contract. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but, um, yeah, I, I have a feeling the company knows, knows yeah, that they know, they know, they know the not to move winter it. <laughs> is a hard time to, to pick it so right yeah they they know not to move it if they move it to a more uh f- um favorable season mm-hmm. oh man it'd be terrible for them so yeah that's so probably like, part sorry of you mentioned that well. um, that strike preparedness trailer that that sounds like a great idea um and if so if if anyone here or anyone listening to a future recording wants to reach out to you to like either use it or to learn how to make one themselves, where, where would they go? Uh, like, Just reach out, to, reach out to um, BCTGM Local 3G Battle Creek. Um, you can Google us. We're, we're on Google. Um, and just call call the office. Um, Cassie's there at the main desk. She'll put you in touch with whoever you need to speak to. And um, we're definitely, definitely um, looking to help other unions other locals, um, and we stand with labor. Like I said, we stand with labor. If, if there's anybody out there that's looking to organize and 
they just have questions, you know, uh, just mm-hmm. reach out to the um, reach out to the union hall. That would be the best way of doing it. And um, mm-hmm. we can go from there. We definitely can go from there. Definitely. Awesome. We, we definitely want to make ourselves available to the community. There is a question in the chat from from Ian uh, about uh, the headway against the two tier system in terms of what you got in that new contract. And I've heard that question a lot from the community um, of folks who like don't have insight into your contract, Donovan. Like what like like what kind of outcomes did you all get out of uh, out of this, especially with regards to that two tier system? Okay. um, again, this is a a multifaceted answer I'm going to give you. So just bear with me as far as what we came out with out of the contract, the two tier wage system is still intact. Anyone that was in that two tier wage system that had um, four years of service, they got moved to regular full-time employment. Uh, that So that regular full-time benefits package, they got moved to that. We're gonna have 3% movement of headcount to regular full-time employment annually and upon ratification of the contract. So January 5th in Battle Creek, we had nine people move to the regular full-time status that were transitional um, employees before. Um, In October, another nine should move or 3% of the the total headcount. The the total headcount went from 325 to like 316. Now, in the document that the company had given us in November, it said that they would round that number up to 10 people. So, you know, it would have been like nine point something, something like 9.6. They were going to round that number up to 10 people. They, so we ended up losing 10 people, transitionals who decided not to come back to work for like three or four people that decided to retire. Um, like right before the contract. So that that took the head count number down as well. Um, we as a union are probably going to arbitrate over that one that one added job because they did tell us that we were going to get 10. Um, now for a, 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 a local like Omaha who has 500 and some employees, that means they get like 15 people. Um, they'll get 15 people in January. And they'll get another 15 in um in October. This now um the the multifaceted part is what we're gonna get into now. Okay. For us in Battle Creek, we had 52 transitional employees in, in October. I'm not sure of that exact number now. Um from the document that they gave us, it would give us, it would take us five years with that with that headcount to um for all of those employees to be regular full-time employees but they just this week they did an orientation of 20 people and five of those people um according to the plant manager were scab employees and they also hire scab employees as management as well we don't necessarily have to get into that at this moment but we can address that as well um so what this in turn does is like for Omaha, they had a a ton of employees. I don't actually have a document in front of me, but that document said that it would take them nine years with the labor force that they had for their last 
um, transitional employees to become full-time regular employees. Now, what the what the company did was they took that document and they made a tweak to it. That 3% is based off of a 2% attrition that they say that we average annually anyway. So people that retire, the movement that you have from those retirees would um, move these people up into to backfill those jobs. So they were going to give us an additional 1% in order to, you know, like, like as a, as a here, try this type of thing. Right. And it, it does help. It does at least let the people know that are in the top 20. Okay. Well, I'll be hired in, I'll be hired in January or I'll be hired in October or I'll be hired next year in October. You know what I mean? It kind of lays it out to them in that way. They also got a pay raise of about $6. So they went from making $19 an hour, well, $5 to $24 an hour, but they're locked in at that $24 an hour pay rate. The document that they use to um, basically set up a smoke screen, it said that they could assume a 5% attrition rate. So 3% was based off of just retirees and, you know, the turnover from legacy employees, which isn't much at all. Like there's legacy employees or regular full-time employees as myself. We don't typically leave the Kellogg company. Um, There's typically not another higher paying job that's coming along with the pension and benefits um, other than maybe another union job, but you're going to take you may end up taking a pay cut just from the overtime alone. Okay. Um, so what they used was 2% attrition of transitional employees, the job that the employees don't want anyway, they want to be regular full-time employees. So they took the 3% from the regular full-time and added in the 2% attrition from transitional employees. And they use this as a bargaining tactic to put out, oh, well, Omaha, it'll only take you guys six years because you guys are averaging an uh, average of um, two year, two, uh, 2% attrition amongst transitional employees. But they couldn't see through the smoke screen to see that of what that actually meant. Right. It's a job it's, that you so, already so the, don't want. They're, they're using the fact that being a traditional employee sucks so much, everyone quits saying, oh, well, it won't take you that long to get moved up because the person ahead of you in line is going to quit. Uh. Exactly. So it becomes doggy dog. Yeah. See what I'm saying? So yeah. they use these tactics to turn one another against each other. Now, Battle Creek, we stood strong. We're steadfast. Mm-hmm. We understand that the, like, they treat us so badly in Battle Creek that we don't believe nothing they say anyway. Like a lot of the people don't even believe that they're going to cut these jobs, but you know, whatever, but it's battle Creek. So we just don't trust the company because of how they've treated us badly for so long. Now, a lot of these other places, they treat them kind of decently. They're um, mm-hmm. HR uh, departments. They don't necessarily have an issue with it. So the treatment isn't necessarily so terrible that they don't, that they distrust the company. So they went along with it and they voted it in. I'm not a transitional employee. So if this is what you guys want, feel free, take it. That's what you guys got. 
but just know that you voted on it and this is what you got. Now, let me say this. The company used the tactic of telling our people that um, they could be replaced with permanent replacement workers to intimidate and instill fear, not only in the members, but in the members' um, families. A lot of the wives, um, a lot of the spouses were concerned about, you know, their significant other being replaced with permanent workers. Um, And, you know, it's it's a pretty good scare tactic, to be honest with you. Along yeah, this with, was in the news as Kellogg announces they're firing 3,000 employees, right? Exactly. That's exactly. what you're talking about. Yeah, so it paints the narrative in a certain light. Now, um, with that being said, we also were waiting on a, a ruling from, from the NLRB. If the ruling from the NLRB would have come back um, during that time frame, it could have it cooled those heads a little bit and calmed everyone down. So, you know, a lot of people scared about losing their jobs. It kind of, you know, puts them in a certain predicament. Um, that paired with um, the scab labor that they were using in the plants. That harkens back to what I was saying before about labor. Right. The Kellogg Company took a lot of poor people from different parts of the country and paid them $26 an hour to work 12 hours a day to put up a smoke screen or add to the smoke screen of being able to produce food at a large scale in these plants. Um, the numbers that they gave us, we could do in a day or let's say two days at least. We run millions of pounds a, a day. Um, at each of these locations. They and they, were and they made that same amount in how how long? They it was they said it's something like they ran 10 million pounds of food and it was it was November. So it had been nearly two months. It was right before Thanksgiving. And we're sitting at the table and I'm looking across the table like, hey guys, I can nearly run a million pounds of food on 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 my shift alone. You know, I definitely could we definitely could run it. Um in our plant in a day. So don't let them um, right. convince you that that's a thing. And also we're seeing that that food is on hold. A lot of that food is on hold. Um, it may end up being destroyed. So <laughs> it, but it's the knowledge. It's the knowledge. Right. You have to know your opponent. You, ha- you have to know your opponent. They can run the food, but couldn't pack the food. So what do you do with all the food that you ran that you can't pack? You throw it away. So that means it literally goes to trash. That day, that same day, being that you couldn't pack it out, you put it in the trash. So right. um a lot of people, a lot of people were fearful of what the company was doing, what they were allowed to do. And it it made them or led them to make this decision. And like I said before about the um, I, I don't think I really got into it about the scab labor. Um, us as labor across, um, across fields, we have to understand that our, our brothers and sisters in humanity are also our brothers and sisters in labor. Um, they were able to do something 
phenomenal the truckers were in Colorado recently after that young man who had the trucking accident was sentenced to 110 years in prison mm-hmm. unjustly, I, I would say. Um, his brakes went out. It led to a disastrous, tragic accident. And I want to be mindful and considerate of the families who lost loved ones or were injured and anyone that was injured in that accident. So let me let me just proceed by saying that first and foremost, I definitely want to be respectful and um, and, and kind in my words going forward. But the truckers that decided to not deliver any goods to the state of Colorado were able in two weeks to get that man's um, sentence reduced from 110 years to 10 years. Now, had we received support like that from the truckers who decided, and a lot of them did, a lot of them said that they wouldn't cross the line, they wouldn't cross our picket line, Mm-hmm. And wouldn't bring grain in. The 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 railroad company said that they wouldn't they wouldn't cross to the point that they had to bring the railroad police out, and they had to the supervisors had to leave the trains in. Um, but the 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 union workers would literally step step off of the train as their bosses would drive those trucks uh, uh, drive those trains in. Um, us across union labor and us uh, as um, citizens of the United States of America, mm-hmm. we have to understand what our dollars do in the marketplace, um, what leverage we have in the marketplace. So many people decided not to buy Kellogg cereal that they decided to take their name off of the Pop-Tart boxes. I am so grateful and humble, so grateful and humble. Mm-hmm. And thankful for everyone who decided not to buy their favorite cereal during that time frame. My aunt is one of them. Um, <laughs> um, I, she was like, "Can I buy? Can I buy uh, Frosted Flakes again?" I was like, "Yeah, go ahead." <laughs> <laughs> like when I got back to work, she was like, yeah. "Can I buy Frosted Flakes again?" She was like, "I've been missing my Frosted Flakes." I was like, "Yeah, go ahead. You can buy." Them. But um. Just standing together unified. Like mm-hmm. your struggle, um, it may not necessarily affect me in the same way, but if you struggling and you need help and you call for help, I am here for you. Because Lily, you didn't have to show up to that picket line on the day that on that Sunday when we met. You didn't. You know, you weren't scheduled to be there. You didn't have any ties to Battle Creek. You didn't have to um you didn't have to show your face, but you did. And I'm appreciative of it. I'm appreciative of you all that have taken the time out of your schedule today to meet with me on a Saturday to have these conversations. And it's just, if we can get the rest of society to really understand that unions shouldn't have a negative connotation to them because all they are are unifying people. We're, we're not five fingers. We're a fist. In unity, you know what I mean? We're a fist in unity. We're standing together for what's right. We're standing up for what's right. Um, it was called Strike Tober. It was called Strike Tober because everybody was going on strike. Everybody was upset. Labor was upset. You you can't 
you can't treat us a certain way mm-hmm. and expect for us not to speak up for ourselves. Look at how high inflation is right now. Um, right. That that six percent um, wage increase that they gave to um, to people that are on the government programs should be reflected throughout the rest of our society. Your way should have went up six percent because we're in a period of high inflation. Now next year it may come. This year it may come down a little bit. Or, well, it may not be as high as last year. It may not be six percent, but six percent is a burden on all of our pockets. We're going to see it at the grocery store. We're going to see it at the gas pump. We're going to see it we're going to see it at the car dealership. When you yeah. go to replace that car that you had for the last 7 to 8 years, that's start now starting to fail. You know, um the purchasing power that you had last year at the start of last year or before COVID, you no longer have. It is mm-hmm. slowly diminishing and it's diminishing through inflation. Now they're talking about interest rates going up. How's that going to apply? How's that going to apply to consumers? You know what I'm saying? So, we hey, sorry, Donovan, I do want to bring it back to the the strike because I, I think you you have to go very okay. shortly. Um, Let's do it. So, so it seems like the you you kept most of the original contract intact from my from my understanding. They changed the two tier system a little bit uh, to make it a little bit more clear. It's still in place, but. I, I th- it seems like you think that there's pro- there's at least some progress made there. There um, is some progress. We didn't we didn't capture the goal that we set out for. So basically, yeah. our slogan the entire time was one day longer, one day stronger. We didn't stay out one day longer, to be honest with you. We yeah. um, what happened was we let the intimidation get to us, and those eighty two days those eighty two days were. They weren't necessarily in vain because we do have a system in which um, a transitional employee can look at the seniority list and say, okay, well, I'll be hired in after four years or I'll be hired in after six years. But mind you, that's four or six years that this employee has sacrificed at a lower wage, paying for their health insurance and not accumulating a pension at all. You know what I'm saying? I would love, I would have, I would have loved for these employees, day one to come in starting at a lower wage, but progressively come up the wage system, but be right. starting out accumulating them, them pension points each year as they had came in initially, because we still have a system, a graduated pay structure in place. So um, those some yeah, of those so, employees after that four years may have to go up through that graduated pay structure. Right. So I I guess it. I my question to you is that kind of, that kind of fear tactic, how, is there anything looking back that you think you could have prepared for as, as a collective, as a union yes. to prevent me, that from getting to you and, and to have been able to push further? What I will say to that point is that um, your negotiating committees need to be trained in the skill of negotiation. Um, your international union needs to have a program where they train the negotiating committee in how to negotiate effectively. Um, And if you don't have that in place, I would consider raising funds to hire a negotiator to negotiate what you truly want. Um, Mm -hmm. We have people who sit on, 
who sat on the negotiating committee who don't have much experience with um, negotiating. And, and that kind of spills over into their leadership as well. You know what I mean? Like personal interest sometimes can play a part in it. So if you also a strike fund, mm-hmm. Battle Creek had a strike fund. Um, we did a strike fund for the last six years. So um, our strike fund was up to nearly nearly $8,000. You know what I'm saying? Per person. So you you put in an hour an hour pay each week, and we did it for five years. Well, we did it for six years. So when we did go on strike, we had some extra finances sitting around that was ready for us to go on strike. So um, I would advise to make sure that if you're thinking about going on strike or if this contract that you recently signed isn't a favorable one, start putting money to the side because um, the irrespons the fiscally irresponsible uh, union brothers and sisters that we have will put us in a bad negotiating predicament um, when it is time to sit down at that table. So just be mindful of that as well. There's a question here in the chat um, for you, Donovan. Do you know if the other three locals also had strike funds that were as strong as Battle Creek's? No, um, neither of them did. Um, and what it becomes is a is a hard sale to people. Um, Derek, you and I, we're in the union together, and your pushback for the strike fund is, well, I can manage my own money. That's true. You can't manage your own money, but will you? And what does a strike fund really do um, for the perspective from the company? Because what it sets up is, okay, you have your union dues that come out every week. I mean, once a month. Your union dues come out once a month. Okay, so the company sees how much they're sending over for, for union dues. Then you set up a union dues too, which is your strike fund. So now they see you sending over um, an hour's pay each month. I mean, each week. So they know that you're preparing for something. They don't know what, but they know that you're preparing for something. Now, what does that say to the company? That says that maybe I might need to treat these people okay because um, they're preparing for a war. They're they're creating these stockpiles and they're filling their coffers so that um, let's let's just be mindful of this, guys. Money is your ammunition against corporate greed. So they're fighting you with money and you're fighting them with money. The money that you have, it will will sustain you while you're on the street. The money they have will try to um, intimidate you while you're on the street. So you're both playing the game of chess. Just understand the value of the dollar amount that you're willing to save um, to sustain you if there is a work stoppage. Yeah, so that that strike fund is definitely an important one. And I also want to hear what you say. Like, I, I also just want to kind of emphasize what you said there a little bit about, about the need to have, like, prepared bargaining committees as well. I mean, AF, you know, not every local does this. I know I think, like, UFCW sends experienced bargainers from around the country into places, but AFT... Uh, I know Ian and I can probably speak to this, but like AFT, we like like we negotiate our contracts. We might get a state rep that comes out and helps to advise us, but we make the decisions. We write the language. We review all of that stuff. Um, we we if if we need to hire a lawyer to read language, 
we do we we do that. So if we've tried to build over time these like teams of people who know the contract forward and backwards. They're used to the language. Uh, and we open up the contract team to the entire membership, of course, because like you, we want to get as many diverse perspectives as possible. But building up that knowledge and that experience over time, that's hard to maintain, especially if you have high turnover. We have a lot of part-time lecturers at Eastern Michigan University. And boy, they're they're here today, gone tomorrow, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. So like building up that 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 experience pool of people who know a the art of negotiation uh, across the table, the personalities involved in those negotiations, and also like how to write that language and read that language. That can be tough to maintain in some situations. Well, there's this book. It's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He was a um, a lead FBI negotiator, and I believe people. If if the negotiating committee was more um, skillfully trained in the in the art of negotiation, things would go a different way. Um, now, let me say this: and I want to say this with as much respect as possible. International international representation sometimes becomes corporate as well. So um, they have an interest that may not necessarily align with the interest of you as a whole, but they do have knowledge and they have experience. Now, with that being said, and like I said, as respectfully as I can put this, um, I wouldn't want anybody who has corporate interests, meaning um, they're thinking about negotiating my contract from a corporate standpoint um, to necessarily lead or make decisions as far as what living conditions I'm willing to live in going forward. I initially, um, in, in my strike vote, I voted on what I was willing to live with and what I wasn't willing to live with. And I gave the negotiating committee the power to make those decisions. Now with me making them, with me giving them those rights to make those, those decisions, I also want them to be as prepared and skilled in negotiating as they could possibly be at that time. Um, and preparedness, I believe would come from utilizing a third party like Chris Voss to come in and teach them Hey, um, this is how you this is how you negotiate. Like this is how you get to what you want. Because I could see the hardball that the company was playing. We met with the company over eighteen times over um, a year and a half. And when I was fortunate enough to sit at the table, it don't didn't seem as if we made any more progress than the initial day one. That's because they're they're playing hardball. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And their plan, their plan, they actually brought in um the negotiator that my delease was using. Um their their HR person, whoever it was that they used to rob those people in Chicago and the other Mondelez plants, they brought in that same person. And 82 days later, 82 days after already meeting with these people for a year and not getting anywhere, basically. They out negotiated us. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So um, the more skillful um, our P- our negotiating committee is as as negotiators, and the more um, more financially stable we are as a union body, because that the financial stable stability of the body will reassure the negotiating committee that we're willing to stand out on the streets and we're willing to fight for a much longer time 
than what they may than than the few people that's calling saying, "Hey, I need to get back to work," because there are going to be people that's that's going to call the negotiating committee and complain saying that um, we need to get back to work, and their voices may be a lot louder than the people who um, are okay with standing on that street and and putting up that fight. You know what I mean? So um, just stand strong, prepare, prepare, prepare as much as you can and realize and understand that we are the shepherds of the sheep. We lead and protect the herd from um, corporate corporate greed, from, 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 from being bullied, from um, unsafe work conditions. And it's our duty to make sure that our people are safe as they go into these plants and they have what they need to supplement and take care of their families um, for a lifetime. And I, I thank you all. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be cognizant of time here. It's one, it's, uh, it's one fifty six here, Donovan, but okay. I mean, I, I think this has been a very enlightening conversation. Um, I know, you know, I've been involved in work site actions before. I'm sure uh, quite a few of us here have, but but like a strike as big and widespread as, as BCT gym, like it, there, there's a really kind of interesting and important lesson here, which is like, I love the description that you gave and it brought tears to my eyes while you were talking about like the power of walking out with your fellow workers, your brothers and sisters, like the power of seeing that kind of momentum in action. Um, but then like, even despite that, like, I'm sorry, but like the, like, like the strike action alone, like there, there are two things happening, right? There, 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 there's there are negotiators at the table. How are they using that strike power? What, 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 what's what leverage are they bringing to bear? But also the power of the workers in the streets and the support and logistics you need to kind of make that a living, like effective tool. And 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 even though we often think about the strike as like we're going to get everything we want, like it doesn't necessarily end that way, right? Like, right, like right. these are still negotiations, and it isn't like you're going to get everything you wanted. There are still compromises that are happening, happening conversations that are happening, and like you said, like your negotiation team has to be prepared to like make use of that strike power effectively to really get what they can out of that. And if you're not prepared for that, then you might come away with a little bit less than even than even your folks want because you can only sustain this non-work for so long given the resources and the momentum and the energy that workers have out there. Right. Um so the overall momentum it really just des- depends on the people. Um our our people in Battle Creek we never had to question not one day and I'm so thankful for them. I'm thankful for them for trusting us and that we were doing the right thing. Um, we definitely stood up on integrity. Keeping and maintaining the momentum, I'm being honest with you, is, is difficult because those picket lines are going to get bare in those in those latter months. It's going to get very, very bare. And the people that are on the picket line are going to start having some resentment towards the people who aren't showing up. Yeah, even with that being said, um, a lot of people would still... Um, a lot of people would still vote, even even at the end. Our people were still voting to stay on strike, you know. So we were still putting up a good fight, and and it may not show in the numbers on the picket line, but it showed in the hearts of the people, you know. Um, over that whole course of that entire strike, out of that 325 people that we had initially that went on strike, we only had one person to cross that picket line. We only had one turncoat amongst all those people. We only had one Judas amongst all those people. 
You know what I mean? So um, it's, it's, like I said, it's overwhelming. And, and, and we as a union body, as, as the elected union officials, we owe um, each of those members a lot as far as um, um, paying them back in, in integrity and in, in character, you know? No, I mean, I think, I think that just, I think, I think that covers most of what, what I was thinking is just like the logistics and all the things that went into it and, and how you kind of balance the, the power that the workers are bringing by striking and how you balance that and make use of that in, in the ne- negotiation room. And, and I just, I'm, I'm just highlighting, uh, you know, some of the things that you've said to really bring home for folks who are listening, like, like it's not it's not all or nothing, right? Like like the strike alone is not going to win it. Like what's the strategy? What's the bargaining room? Um, what's the temperature in the bargaining room? What are you pushing for? And how are you maintaining all of those things? Like it, it, it's all got to come together. It's all got to swim together. And 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 if you if you line those things up, you can probably do just about anything. But you know it's it's hard and it gets more difficult as time goes on. Right, and that's true. Um... Those bar, I'm gonna be honest with you. Those bargaining rooms, um, they're just filled with your people. Um, you meet for a minute with the company, they leave out, they come back in, you meet for another minute, they leave out. Um, I, I, I was um, filling in for one of the negotiators, uh, they were sick. And couldn't make it. So I, I got the chance to fill in. And um, me and one of the other negotiators, you know, we drove down and we were able to talk. And she was like, out of the out of the 18 meetings that they had, you know, leading up to that or 17 or whatever, however many at the time, um, they had only met for about 10 minutes in total. So the, our negotiating committee is traveling to Maryland, to um, Indianapolis, to Virginia. They're traveling to Chicago, back and forth, and they're only meeting with the company for 10 minutes. So when they're coming back, I mean, for, for 30 seconds, for 45 seconds, for a minute. So what, what does that do for the people in the room? See, this is what I was addressing when I said they need to be taught how to negotiate. What it's doing is it's leaving a void there that's wide enough for you on this side to say, well, is this worth fighting over? And for this side to say, yes, it is worth fighting over. So now the fight is in the room. See what I'm saying? So if everybody's trained in the art of negotiation, you understand that once they leave the room, if they don't come back with something favorable, then negotiations is over for the day. That's just what it's going to be. You know what I mean? Um, we're not going to sit in this room and negotiate with one another. We're not going to bargain over, well, we have more votes at our, at our local than you have, and we're going to use that to push this the way that we want to push it. You know what I mean? No, yeah. we're not coming in here divisive because we weren't divisive when we voted on going on strike. We're going to stand together um, and stay the course at every point throughout this um, this interaction. So that's why I say having a more prepared uh, negotiating committee and having actual negotiators who have negotiated outside of these contracts between um, Kellogg's and BCTGM, but actually have true negotiating 
um, hostage negotiating, you know, skills. <laughs> like, because that's really what it is. Um, the For us to get Kellogg's to change up the transitional language and to get rid of the transitional program, it was a hostage negotiation. For them to get rid of that is like hey, I, I need you to send a couple hostages out. And basically that's what they did. They sent us they sent us 3% of the hostages each year and they're going to make they're going to move them to regular full-time employment. You know what I mean? So um it doesn't it doesn't it didn't get us exactly what we wanted or what we needed, but it got us enough that um the people that it benefits feel as though they can live with it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I you know whatever the body votes for is what I represent, and that's what we got to deal with going forward. So um, it's not for me to split hairs about what's better for the for for the body as a whole or what's not. You know, it is what it is. I'll take the good with the bad. All right, Donovan. Um, I'm gonna need to wrap this up here. So I want to okay. thank you first of all for for coming to speak with us to just sharing it so frankly and openly. Um, And yeah, just, I mean, thank you for coming out just even in general to talk about this. I really appreciate that. Um, And I want to give you the chance to say any final thoughts and kind of wrap us up here. Okay. Um, Just, just in concluding, I would like to say, just keep in mind that um, labor, um, the employees, the members that we represent, are the herd, and we are in fact the the shepherds of that herd. The wolves are is corporate greed. It's these corporations that we work for that don't have our better interests at heart. And with that being said, we have to keep them at bay. I and my brothers and sisters were fortunate enough and blessed enough to be able to fight that fight. And I have not one day of regret. I don't regret the money I lost. I don't regret the money I spent. I don't regret the 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 days and the nights that we were out there on that picket line. I miss my burn barrel. I miss my burn barrel. I miss my burn barrel. I would take that burn barrel today if I could to get what we what we set out for. So um just keep in mind that integrity. As long as you move in integrity, you will always be able to look at yourself in the mirror every day, day in and day out. Um, I would much rather be at war with the world than at war with myself. And I know that what we did over those 82 days, I can rest my head every night knowing that I executed and did what I was supposed to do for my brothers and sisters and for those that are here to come. Um, Lily, I appreciate you more than you know. I'm so thankful. I want you all to know as the IWW that you have a asset on your hands. Um, Utilize Lily as much as you can. Um, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. I'm your brother. I stand with you. If you need something from me, do not hesitate. I appreciate it. Um, My local, my union appreciates you, appreciates the sacrifices that you made. Um, that code, I want to say, um, maybe December night that we met out there on that picket line 
or maybe it was November on that picking line that we met, um, standing by that that burn barrel and the conversations that we had and meeting your friends and your loved ones. I want to just let you know that I am your brother. And if you need something from me, please do not hesitate. Um, and thank you all. I appreciate um, the forum, the platform that you guys have shared with me. And take care, be safe, um, and solidarity. Keep up the good fight. Thank you, Donovan. It was good to see, good to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you as well. Thank you, everybody. It's good to see you, and thanks for being out today. All right. Yeah, thank you all for coming.